always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. There was a time when Irish criminals believed they were above the law. They flaunted their wealth, boasted about their crimes and celebrated the nicknames they were given by the press. Martin Cahill then left the court where he handed out a statement and then to the astonishment of reporters he began to do a small jig. Then Detective Garda Jerry McCabe and journalist Veronica Geeran were shot dead within weeks of each other in the summer of 1996. Everything changed. As Geeran was gunned down in her car as she waited at traffic lights on the Nace dual carriageway. Two men on a Dublin-registered motorbike drove alongside. The pillion passenger opened fire. The Criminal Assets Bureau was set up 25 years ago and told to follow the money. Its mission was to hit the criminals where it hurt, in their bank accounts. When we look back now at the creation of CAB, you can really view it as the state's proper first response to organised crime in Ireland. Today... How the criminals who thought they were untouchable were taken down, while others had to go on the run to protect themselves and their money. Irish Times crime editor Conor Lally has been covering the cab story for many years. What was Ireland like for criminals back in the mid-1990s? Was it an easy place for them to do business, for want of a better word? And what tools did the guards have? to fight those organised criminal gangs? I suppose really if you were to compare um, Irish organised crime back then with Irish organised crime now, there were far fewer people involved back then for a start. I mean, the main activities back then were armed robberies, particularly on banks, post offices, uh, cash and transit vans. The raid lasted just one minute and has been described by Garthi as daring and sophisticated. It was timed to perfection. A security van had collected used notes during the day from banks and had just left its Garda and army escorts and was being unloaded here. And then obviously the drugs trade was, you know, quite big. Not as big as it is now, but obviously quite big. But really up until the point where the cab was introduced, the IRA had been for years the state's public enemy number one. And really all of the crime fighting tools that we had, they were really set up to address the IRA. So to go after the IRA in terms of the fundraising activities they were doing in the Republic, which were really armed robberies, and then trying to prevent the IRA here from aiding their colleagues up the north. So it was really paramilitary. And then the 1990s saw the switch from, you know, the paramilitary security concern as being the number one over to organised crime. And who were the big players? Well, I suppose, I mean, the big players were the people that we've, you know, heard an awful lot about really over the last 20 years. The John Gilligan gang was obviously responsible for the murder of Veronica Guerin in June 96. And as I say, that was the crime that really led to the uh, creation of CAB. So you had people like the John Gilligan gang, you had the Martin Cahill armed gang, you had the Jerry Hutch armed gang. And then there were others who were involved in, you know, drug dealing, people like Christian Larry Dunn, Tony Filoni, PJ Judge, um, guys like, you know, Marlo Highland, Christy Kinahan. These are names that we all know well now, but people like Kinahan and Highland were really only beginning to come to the fore in the drugs trade back then. So I give some credit to 
a criminal with a personality. Martin Cahill, the general, um, most definitely... The former head of CAB, Pat Clavin, has said that Martin Cahill was, and this is a quote, the embodiment of why something like the Criminal Assets Bureau was created. He didn't work other than as a robber. He drew the dole, he drew social welfare. He had a number of houses. His domestic arrangements were colourful and complex. Um, and, uh, Can you tell us a little bit about who Martin Cahill was and why he was one of CAB's main targets in the early days? Well, Martin Cahill was essentially, you know, the head of an, of an armed robbery gang. And, you know, he, he, he planned and carried out things like bank robberies. He stole art collections and that kind of thing. And the reason why he would be seen as the type of person that Cab was set up to go after was because Cal was the kind of person who he didn't try to keep a low profile. He was quite happy for the guards to know that he was, you know, behind armed robberies and, and so on. It also seemed very important for him to be seen to, you know, collect all of the social welfare that he was entitled to. Well, what people would say is, why do you draw the dole? Because I'm unemployed. Yeah. But your lifestyle doesn't look like a man on the dole. He really just wanted to take the piss out of the system, basically. There were elements of farce to today's court appearance by the man, Martin Cahill, who has denied he is the general. A decoy was used to try to fool photographers and cameramen, and in court, Cahill wore a wig, a false moustache and glasses. He wanted to live in a big house that was paid for by organised crime and then he really also wanted to ridicule the state and the guards. So the whole idea of CAB was if we can't catch them carrying out the crimes, we'll simply tax them on the proceeds of their crimes. So, you know, they were obviously unable to catch uh, Cahill for the majority of his high profile crimes. So the alternative approach was to, you know, go in there, take his house off him, take his car off him, take his cash off him. Happily, in 2005, his trophy properties were seized by the Criminal Assets Bureau and sold, notwithstanding the fact that he'd been murdered by the IRA in Dublin in 1994. And that's why, really, Cahill would be seen as the type of person that Cab was ideal for and was set up with, you know, him in mind, basically. And how did they respond when they had their cash, their cars, their houses impounded or seized? I mean, what was the response of the criminal fraternity when those things started to happen? It's really interesting. When the Proceeds of Crime Act, which provides for CAB, when that was implemented 25 years ago, nobody really knew what was going to happen. They didn't know whether this law would be challenged. They didn't quite know how, you know, CAB would actually work. So the idea from the early days was they would just pick out X amount of high profile people that they knew were very heavily involved in organised crime, you know, primarily armed robbery and drugs and people that they knew had plenty of cash, mostly tied up in property. And they just picked half a dozen people and went after them. Really, the idea was that it was to show the public that even though everyone thought at the time that, that uh, Veronica Guerin was killed, that the people who killed her were untouchable and wouldn't and couldn't be caught, Cab was going to be the means that the guards would show everybody that they could catch anybody. And if they weren't able to catch them for the crimes that they carried out, they were going to take their wealth off them. This is the story of a modern-day criminal godfather, Gerard Hutch. The once poor boy from Dublin's inner city is today a multi-millionaire. Some achievement for a man who, as an adult, never held down a full-time job. 
So a lot of criminals were just caught effectively. I mean, cases were prepared. A lot of cases were basically prepared on the income that that the guards claimed these criminals had. So, for example, somebody like Jerry Hutch, the guards just basically did a, you know, tax audit of him. They claimed he had X amount of income over X amount of years and they just applied a tax rate and penalties to that income and they told him, if you don't pay, we're going to take all of your property off you. And he paid. Done a lot of business and property. It was a good time and that's where I made my money. If people say armed robberies, so be it. I mean, I was questioned about these armed robberies you're talking about, so we let them decide, the people. So that's really what happened at the beginning. You couldn't really flee from cab at the start because they just they just really acted on the income that you'd had before cab was actually set up. But very quickly, once the first few cases went through the courts, organised crime then knew how cab operated and they began to respond to the Bureau. I think the real impact um, on organised crime was that a lot of experienced criminals saw the writing on the wall and they just really upped sticks and relocated to continental Europe. Places like Amsterdam, southern Spain, they became the locations that probably the most organised gang leaders went to. It forced them abroad and from their locations abroad, they essentially became drugs wholesalers into the Irish market. And then what happened was, as the economy took off here, demand for drugs, particularly cocaine, increased, you know, hugely. And as that demand increased, you had these offshore wholesalers who were able to import all of these drugs into Ireland. I mean, I think it was probably going to happen anyway, but in a way, CAB really forced these senior criminals to flee abroad. Once they got abroad, they got very well organised there. They sourced a lot of drugs from other gangs in continental Europe and particularly from South America. And really then, we've more or less had 20 years of Irish drugs wholesalers based in continental Europe supplying the Irish drugs trade. Coming up, how a shocking shooting in a Dublin hotel changed the rules again and how the criminals responded. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. If the murder of Jerry McCabe and the murder of Veronica Geeran were pivotal in setting up the Criminal Assets Bureau, another very high profile crime was another watershed moment. The guy leaned over the receptionist's desk and pointed the gun at me, so I was looking down the barrel of his gun and I was shouting, don't shoot, don't shoot. He said something to me that I can't quite remember was just maybe two words, and then he left again. Um, the guy who was shot right beside me at that time, that, that is the man who's now died. And that was the Regency Hotel murder. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? I think you could probably say that the attack on the Regency Hotel also changed the rules for organised crime in the way Veronica Gearance killing did 25 years ago. Armed Gardaí on the streets of Dublin today to disrupt the activities of criminal gangs and prevent retaliation for the murder of David Byrne. Really what happened there was we had a number of senior Irish criminals based in Spain and Amsterdam at the time. They were selling drugs into the Irish market. Um, There were a lot of younger gangs taking those drugs off them, selling them all over Ireland. And they'd been feuding really for about a 10 or 15 year period between younger criminals in Ireland. I think what happened with the Regency Hotel attack was obviously the Hutch organised crime gang attacked the Kinahan organised crime gang while their people were in the hotel. Three men appeared coming in the side door, fully dressed in guarded uniforms, absolutely fully dressed. David Byrne, who was a member really of the wider Kinahan cartel, he was shot dead. Two other men were injured, but they survived. And I suppose the attack was so spectacular. It involved a group of armed men. They were, you know, dressed up in uh, mock Garda ERU uniforms. They were carrying AK-47s. And they burst into a boxing tournament way in where, where there was, you know, parents with their kids. There were athletes getting weighed for this Clash of the Clans boxing tournament that was due to take place that weekend. People fled in terror, children as young as five screaming for their lives. A lot of people had their phones out, they were recording. The media were also outside because they knew people from the Kinahan cartel were set to turn up because they were actually organising this clash of the clans. So all of it was caught on camera, including these men dressed as guards going into the hotel. So I think the imagery alone shocked everybody. The fact that this gang had opened fire on a crowded hotel shocked everybody as well. And I think at that point, it was undeniable that the Kinahan Organised Crime Group had just reached a size and a strength that we hadn't seen ever in Ireland before. So in the same way we had this, you know, massive clampdown against organised crime after Veronica Guerin was shot, we had the same thing after the Regency Hotel attack. And that's really still going on now, five years later. Now, over the years, criminals have become far more adept at dealing with CAB and they know how it operates. So what kind of ways have they raised their game to evade CAB knocking on their door? One of the features of CAB in the very early days was that they really only went after people who were very senior in armed robbery and in the drugs trade. What's happened in the last few years is that they have actually changed the Proceeds of Crime Act. They've dropped the threshold of an asset that can be seized by CAB and it's lower than €10,000 now. So really what CAB will do now is it will go after assets like, you know, Rolex watches, you know, either luxury cars or fairly inexpensive cars. They will even go after things like designer clothing, designer suitcases, any items that people will buy with the proceeds of the drugs trade. CAB will actually go after them now. It carried out 57 searches, more than one a week, and seized hundreds of Rolex watches, designer clothing and handbags, Harley-Davidson motorbikes, expensive jewellery, luxury goods, caravans, a racehorse and top-of-the-range cars, including Lexus, Mercedes and BMWs. So that's one of the big changes that the Bureau has implemented down the years. 
And really, for the smaller people in the drugs trade, they find it very hard to escape cab. Once cab's attention is on you, you're more or less toast. They'll just do a you know survey of what your income is. They can get court orders to check your bank accounts. They can just do your finances and they can freeze everything. And then they can just carry out a raid on your home, take your cars, take your jewellery, take your clothes, take everything off you, basically. The more senior criminals, what they have done is they have gone abroad and they've stayed abroad. And if you are involved in the Irish drugs trade from abroad, even if your sole clients for drugs are in Ireland only, once you're not tax resident in Ireland and you don't have any assets in Ireland, the Criminal Assets Bureau can't take anything off you. They can only take assets from people who either live here and have assets here or people who live abroad and have assets here. So a lot of these guys who've sought to escape, you know, the long arm of cab, they've just relocated abroad and they don't come home and they don't buy any assets here. How do they get the money? If somebody sells a bag of grass in Galway to an underling of a criminal gang, how does that money end up in the hands of a drug lord living in Spain or Amsterdam? It's really very simple. What happens is they import the drugs in very large quantities. I mean, if we look at how the Kinahan cartel operates, for example, they will import literally pallet loads of drugs, usually hidden in trucks that come over through our ports. Their underlings in Ireland will collect those drugs, you know, from the various ports around the country. They'll take the drugs off site. They'll split the drugs up and they will essentially courier them to, you know, smaller drugs gangs all over Ireland. They will collect the cash off them. They will essentially vacuum pack that cash into large plastic bags of uh, cash and they will export that abroad to the gang leaders abroad. So that can be exported, you know, hidden in trucks, hidden in cars, suitcases, in car tyres, any way, basically. In some cases, Connor, criminals risk their lives to earn the money that they make from their criminal enterprises. But if they've got cab on their back, it means they can't really spend that money. So just how comfortable are all these criminals when it comes to flaunting the cash that they make? I mean, the really curious thing, I actually interviewed the former head of cab, Pat Clavin, a few years ago, and I really think he hit the nail on the head. He said it was very important for a lot of these guys to stay in those areas where they're from, You, you know, those places where they grew up and to be seen in those areas as the guy with, you know, the biggest car, the deepest tan, the shiniest watch, a house that's been extended and extended and improved and, you know, renovated. And they really want to be kings in their own area. And that's really what brings them down in terms of cab. What the Criminal Assets Bureau has done in the last 10 years or so They have trained an awful lot of Garda personnel all over the country to be assets profilers. So what they will do is they will spot the trappings of any unexplained wealth at all. That can be the purchase of a brand new car. That can be, you know, particular people suddenly changing their appearance, getting bulletproof glass on their houses, that kind of thing. Any signs at all, people have unexplained wealth and that wealth could come from crime. Now, one of the really interesting things is, is that back in 2004, the Criminal Assets Bureau only had 25 assets profilers all all over Ireland. They've got nearly 580 now. So that's just the sheer volume of Garda personnel that has been trained to be the eyes and the ears of CAB all over the country. 
And certainly what I see in the last, really in the last four or five years, there's been a huge increase in the number of searches carried out by cab. And typically what they're taking, as I say, again, is like 15 to 20,000 euros worth of cash, a few Rolex watches, lots of very expensive clothes, three or four cars. And that's really it. That really may be the only assets that these particular drug dealers have because they're fairly low level. So even if you're a junior player in the drugs trade now, there's over 500 Gardaí all over the country trained by the cab to spot your well, send your information back up to Cab HQ, and then, you know, you will be hit by the Bureau very early one morning when you're in bed and everything will be taken off you. All your neighbours will see, you know, cabs officers all over your house, your back garden, wherever. And then for the larger guys, the guys who have set up things like car dealerships to launder their cash. I mean, I've seen cases where cab have gone in on, on these garages and they will take away over 100 cars off the forecourt in a day. Including Range Rovers, BMWs, Volvos and Skodas, along with two flatbed trucks and a car transporter, all worth over €2 million. Euro. You have other guys who set up companies like tanning salons in a bid to, you know, launder their drugs cash. Again, the guards will just go in, take all the records, CCTV, tiller receipts, all of that, and close the business down, basically. It's getting harder to spend the money from the drugs trade, that's for sure. And can the authorities use this unexplained wealth to prosecute a criminal case. Like if I'm a criminal and I have all this money and I can't explain where that money comes from, could that be used as evidence to prove that I am in fact a criminal? It can't be used as evidence, no. Um, It's really important to say that the Criminal Assets Bureau operates off civil law. So it goes into the High Court, it presents a case about a particular person or a particular crime gang and it tries to convince the judges of the High Court on the balance of probability that your income comes from organised crime. In a criminal case, you've got to prove a case beyond all reasonable doubt. So the burden of proof is higher and criminal law is just, you know, totally different, basically. So the reason why the Criminal Assets Bureau can take assets from people for drug dealing, even though they can't prove that drug dealing in a court of law, is because the threshold for cab isn't as high as convicting you of drugs crimes in a court of law. Thanks for talking to us, Connor. 